Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 121, Controlling Sound. Hi, I'm Neil. September 2016 marked the start of Apple's latest battle, what has been a war that the company's been waging for nearly 20 years. This newest battle was going to look and sound different. Apple unveiled new iPhones lacking dedicated headphone jacks. The move was controversial. Many people looked at it as a sign of Apple going too far, flexing its power, trying to kill off legacy technologies just for the sake of change, just to sell more iPhones. However, Apple's move wasn't about headphone jacks. I don't even think the move was really about iPhones. Apple had made a big bet regarding the future of sound on the go. Headphone wires were the enemy. We now see Apple unveiling its revised strategy for controlling sound in the home with HomePod. I think the best way to analyze products like AirPods and HomePod is to look at them as the latest weapons in Apple's battle for controlling sound in our lives. The strategy at play here is all about delivering impactful and memorable user experiences. This is why music has played a fundamental role in Apple's sound strategy. Let's think about music. Listening to a particular song can mentally remove us from our surroundings. Music is one of the few things out there capable of fostering such strong emotional connections and experiences. And then if you look out 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it's a safe bet to assume music will be around. In fact, music's going to be around for a very long time. Music consumption is going to remain a key task that we give our computing devices. That serves as the basis That's the foundation for Apple's interest in music. It plays a central role in the company's strategy for controlling sound in our lives. Now, there are two parts to this controlling sound strategy. Sound on the go and sound in the home. So we'll tackle each one. We'll start with sound on the go. The iPod. Mark the beginning of Apple's quest to control sound on the go. A few days ago, I went back and watched Apple's iPod presentation. It was fascinating to see the simplicity. After going over Mac as a hub strategy, Apple positioned iPod as a breakthrough digital device. What we later found out was, well, the iPad wasn't just a big deal. It wasn't just an important product for Apple. It changed the way we consumed music on the go. It offered a much better experience than existing mobile listening options at the time. For me, that option was primarily CD players. And I think some of you are probably familiar with those items and the numerous issues with trying to listen to that music on the go. And what is now difficult to comprehend, the iPod effectively put an end 
to not being able to have your entire music library in your pocket. These days with music streaming services, that thought doesn't even register for a lot of people. Look at the first iPod commercial. I'll put a link to the commercial in the show notes. The ad highlighted the iPod's mobility as you had a man dancing around his house listening to music via his iPod. And also you had those white earbuds. But the kicker was found at the end. He stepped outside the four confined walls of his home into the outside world, and he didn't miss a beat because of iPod. The iPod wasn't just about consuming sound around the home, but more importantly, outside the home. Over subsequent years, we saw Apple unveil a number of iPods. Some of them were more popular than others. For many people, the iPod was the first Apple product they ever owned or they ever used. However, Apple was just getting started when it came to controlling sound on the go. Very soon after Apple unveiled the iPod, and once Apple saw, wow, sales are really here, momentum is building, they started to think about the longer term. They started to go out a couple years. And they started to wonder, what could jeopardize iPod? What could threaten this product? And they started to think, wait a second. If you have an iPod in your pocket, what could disrupt that? What could ultimately also deserve a place in your pocket? And the answer was phones. And soon smartphones. And the fear was that, well, we don't need a dedicated music player to listen to music. We could just listen to music on our smartphone. And this was the basis, this was the beginning of Apple working at a much more ambitious product. We now know it as the iPhone. The iPhone changed the course of Apple's sound-on-the-go strategy. So while the iPod was thought to be Apple's first mass-market product based on sales, the iPhone went on to redefine what it meant to really be mass market. When Apple unveiled iPhone in 2007, Apple was selling around 50 million iPods per year. Sounds pretty great. It's a big number. Apple's currently selling 215 million iPhones per year. So four times more. And even though iPhone became much more than a dedicated music player, essentially iPod ended up being an app on iPhone. Notice what happened to music. Apple really never let go of music. They never lost their interest in music. It's because music plays such a fundamental role in its controlling sound strategy. Wireless AirPods now mark the latest step in Apple's sound on the go strategy. The device is born out of the belief that there isn't a place for wires in a wearable's world. By the way, I think that war against wires will continue. And we'll see all these charging cables and charging cords 
I think those are going to be the next victim. But earpods, they were criticized out of the gate. A lot of people looked at them as funny looking, unusual looking. Some people said that they were too expensive for what they were. But notice what happened to those concerns. They quickly disappeared. Whereas wireless AirPods may have looked odd to some people, I think very soon, very quickly, going around and looking at people with wires hanging out of their ears, that's going to look out of place. Turning to AirPod sales, I think the numbers have been pretty good. I think AirPods have been a resounding success. While Apple does not disclose AirPod sales on conference calls or in its earnings reports, the company provides some clues. We have Apple saying how the wearables business is a certain size based on revenue. And what we can do is we can take our estimates for Apple Watch and back into a number for AirPods. So using that methodology, I, according to my estimate, Apple sold about 11 million pairs of AirPods in 2017. That's pretty good. That would position AirPods as the third best-selling Apple product out of the gate. What was the best-selling product? We talked about it last week. iPad. What was the second best-selling Apple product? This may surprise some people. It was Apple Watch. This is one of the reasons why I think Apple Watch suffered from this iPhone reality distortion feel. Because the Apple Watch didn't sell like iPhone, people dismissed it. Thought it was a flop. Actually, it was the second best-selling Apple product out of the gate. Taking a closer look at my AirPod sales estimates on a quarterly basis, so we have four quarters so far. Apple launched AirPods at the end of 2016. It looks like AirPods had a monster holiday quarter. I think Apple sold 4 million pairs of AirPods. And when you combine that with the more than 9 million Apple Watches Apple sold last quarter, you can see how Apple's wearables business is gaining momentum, both in terms of revenue and also unit sales. And this is one reason why I think AirPods will have momentum over the next few years. As Apple Watch achieves greater independency from iPhones, AirPods will play a crucial role in delivering sound to tens of millions of Apple Watch users. We now have reports of Apple planning to update wireless AirPods later this year. I think the runway for AirPods is long. We can come up with a long list of potential features that Apple can bring to AirPods. Everything from health tracking, noise canceling, augmented hearing. This is why I think the big question with wireless AirPods is which of those features will get the green light? How will Apple look at wireless AirPods in context of its broader wearable strategy? Which will get health tracking features? Apple Watch? Wireless AirPods? Down the road, maybe a pair of glasses? We also have rumors of Apple planning to unveil a completely new kind of headphone, a noise-canceling over-ear headphones. This is a move suggestive of Apple expanding 
its line of wireless headphones. Said another way, this is a sign of Apple expanding its sound-on-the-go strategy. Now we turn to sound in the home. It's easy to look at HomePod as Apple's foray into controlling sound in the home. But that's not quite right. The company's strategy actually started in 2006. It started with a whimper, with the iPod Hi-Fi speaker. Along with going back and rewatching the iPod unveiling, I rewatched the iPod Hi-Fi unveiling. This particular video that I was watching was only about 20 minutes long, so I actually would recommend uh, taking a look at this presentation. It was fascinating. You could sense some similarities between the iPod Hi-Fi and what Apple's trying to do with HomePod, but it was hard to miss the differences between the two. There were certain parts of this HiPod Hi-Fi presentation where you're just thinking to yourself, this doesn't sound like that convincing of a sales pitch. As it turned out, Apple pulled the plug on iPod Hi-Fi only after about 19 months in the market. The speaker was tasked with reinventing the home stereo for the iPod era. So it was positioned as a companion product to iPod. So 12 years later, we now have Apple giving sound in the home another try with HomePod. There are some key differences in strategy here. And it's not just differences in the presentations. HiPod Hi-Fi was meant to enhance the iPod and iTunes ecosystem. Meanwhile, look at HomePod. Both HomePod and its A8 chip they're given a much more ambitious goal. Apple is positioning HomePod as a way of reinventing sound in the home. Apple is bringing computational audio to the masses. HomePod scans the room it's located in and then tailors sound output to that room. The thing is, Apple isn't using computational audio to underpin the initial HomePod marketing campaign. Instead, Apple is relying on emotion. This is a page taken directly out of the iPod, iPhone, and even wireless AirPods playbooks. We have Apple unveiling a four-minute ad for HomePod. We could probably call it a film. It's directed by Spike Jones. It's striking. However, the thing that instantly jumped out at me about this video was how similar it was to the original iPod ad. In both, we see people enjoying music using Apple devices. One is listening to an iPod to get him pumped up to leave the house, experience the outside world. Meanwhile, this HomePod ad? It's about someone listening to HomePod after coming home following a tough day. But in both examples, you have people losing themselves in the music experience that's produced by an Apple device. This brings us to Apple Music and also Beats. Apple Music isn't a revenue or profit driver 
for Apple. It said Apple Music is the glue in Apple's quest to control sound. We can go back to Apple's Beats acquisition, an acquisition that I would say is still confusing for a lot of people. It's so unusual compared to all these other acquisitions that Apple pursues. I think that acquisition was driven by music streaming. Apple bought into Jimmy Ivins' overall music vision. But I don't think Apple really minded getting a popular headphones brand and Beats. It's not as if Apple was unfamiliar with the power found with headphones. We can take a look at iPod. We could take a look also at all of the white AirPods found with iPhone. I think the fact that Apple kept the Beats brand around for headphones, it speaks to the power of Beats. And how these headphones, they're likely serving a different target market. In an interesting way, Apple positioned Beats headphones as a complement to wireless AirPods. This has likely given Apple a very substantial advantage that very few people are talking about. I think the combination of Beats and also Apple-branded headphones, they've gone a long way in removing the oxygen from the wireless headphone category. They're preventing competitors from establishing any kind of beachhead. At this point, let's turn to the elephant in the room when it comes to Apple's strategy for controlling sound. Their strategy in the home seems to have met its match in the form of Amazon Echo Dot and Google Home Mini. When you look at iPod, iPhone, AirPods, Beats, those are personal devices delivering sound, including music, to individual users. Meanwhile, look at cheap stationary smart speakers. They're powered by digital voice assistants, and they're shaping up to be more about communal experiences. In addition, when you look at an Echo or Google Home, the value found with those speakers, it's not derived from sound quality, but rather the intelligence of the digital voice assistant that lives in the cloud. This dynamic has led the tech community to think Apple misfired by positioning HomePod as a high-quality music speaker. I see things differently. The rise of digital voice assistants, like Alexa and Google Assistant, they've redefined a stationary speaker's purpose. So now it's about delivering intelligence rather than sound. Because again, when you think of a speaker, you would think of probably a music speaker. You would think of sound quality. The implication here is that the stationary speaker part of the equation is temporary in nature. If the same kind of intelligence can be delivered to users via another way, let's say smart glasses, a smartwatch, a pair of wireless headphones, I think low-end stationary speakers lose value. In essence, they may be working now, given where technology stands, 
given limitations that we currently see with wearables, including low adoption. But I think it's going to change going forward. This is the primary reason why I think the current narrative that's surrounding stationary smart speakers is off the mark. Apple looks at a stationary speaker as a tool capable of delivering intelligent sound. That use case, delivering intelligent sound, probably won't change anytime soon. It won't change even if we use digital voice assistants in different ways going forward. Maybe we rely on them more using wearables. With HomePod, Apple isn't selling a high-quality music speaker. Instead, Apple is selling a new kind of music experience. This experience isn't able to be produced with mobile devices, like wireless AirPods. It can't be produced by low-end speakers, like Amazon Echo Dot or Google Home Mini. And it can't be produced by even high-end speaker systems, some of which may cost more than $1,000. This HomePod music experience consists of a music streaming service, a digital voice assistant, and the combination of hardware and software that allows HomePod to map its surroundings and adjust sound output accordingly. So it's not just about music quality or sound quality. It's about the experience. That sounds familiar when you go back and look at Apple's existing strategy for controlling sound. The iPod, for example. The iPad did not become popular because it offered vastly superior sound quality on the go. Instead, it became a hit because it offered a better all-around music listening experience versus the competition. Millions of people aren't buying wireless AirPods because of their superior sound quality. Instead, AirPods are one of those products that they just work really great. They offer a great user experience. When we compare Apple's sound-on-the-go strategy with its sound-in-the-home strategy, the juxtaposition really stands out to me. Apple is running away with its controlling sound-on-the-go strategy. The company has no legitimate competition in the wireless headphone market. None. This may change in the future, but it's not clear where that competition will come from. The same can be said about Apple's broader wearable strategy. I've been taking a close look at the smartwatch and the broader wrist wearable strategy. There's no competition. It's just Apple Watch. Could that change? Of course. Where would that new competition come from? It's not obvious. Meanwhile, Apple's positioning with controlling sound in the home appears to be much more precarious. Many think this positioning here is due to Alexa and Google Assistant. They've established a beachhead in the home. So while Apple may see continued success and even more success with personal gadgets like wireless AirPods and new headphones, 
the home may be different. They may struggle with HomePod. I'm not so sure if the topic here really is about Alexa and Google Assistant. Instead, I think HomePod is facing three different issues that make a challenging environment for the product. The first is the communal experience. Voice-controlled smart speakers positioned in a common area in our house, that's not a personal gadget. It's not like an iPhone. It's not like a pair of wireless AirPods. It's not realistic to assume, say, a family of four will have four different home pods with each one catering to a different member of the family. Apple's approach to this situation appears to be to position HomePod as a device for one user. And then that user has the option to turn HomePod more into a family music speaker than anyone can use to consume music. There are questions as to whether that can really provide a superior music listening experience for all involved. The second issue is while music has underpinned Apple's sound-on-the-go strategy, products like iPhone and wireless AirPods, they're used for more than music consumption. I think it's a stretch to say the same thing applies to the first iteration of HomePod. The primary use case is music consumption. Sure, there's a couple other things that you can do with HomePod, and maybe down the road, Apple brings additional features to HomePod. But it's not clear if there's really anything beyond music consumption that's going to be the primary use case for this speaker. So that's different than what we see with Apple's sound on the go strategy. And then the third issue has to do with competition. I don't think HomePod's competitor is Echo or Google Home. I don't think it's Alexa or Google Assistant. With HomePod, Apple's most intense competitor ends up being non-consumption. It's the lack of high-quality speakers in the home. Up to now, most people haven't seen the need to go out, buy speakers, in order to have this high-quality sound in the home. This is why the high-end speaker market is niche. So with HomePod, Apple isn't trying to take someone else's piece of the pie. They're trying to grow the pie. Apple thinks a broader focus on the music listening experience is the answer. There's a reason people haven't gone out and bought high-quality speakers in the past. They haven't been able to produce the kind of experience that's worthy of the prices found with those devices. Apple thinks it could change that with HomePod. So it's clear that there are differences between Apple's sound on the go and sound in the home strategies for controlling sound. But both share a common trait. Ultimately, each is about delivering experiences. When we look at sound on the go, Apple will likely look to deeply integrate Apple Music into its growing wearables lineup. This is why, in addition to delivering music, I think these wearables will begin to serve as a better conduit for delivering a digital voice assistant to the user. 
We talked a lot more about that back in episode 118. Apple Watch is a bridge to the future. Meanwhile, for sound in the home, Apple believes a use case for a stationary speaker that will likely still be around 5, 10, even 15 years from now is music consumption. Meanwhile, HomePod's ability to reimagine sound gives the product a very long runway. In terms of Apple bringing features to the HomePod that can deliver a better music experience. Apple's strategy for controlling sound ultimately boils down to Apple's strategy for controlling experiences. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this type of Apple analysis and you would like more of it throughout the week, I publish a daily email all about Apple. This email is sent exclusively to above Avalon subscribers. To sign up to receive this email and become an Above Avalon subscriber, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the subscribe page. Sign up is very simple. You can choose from either a $10 per month subscription or a $100 per year subscription. The cornerstone of an Above Avalon subscription is access to my exclusive daily email about Apple. And this email covers topics ranging from Apple business and strategy analysis to my Apple earnings and financial estimates. And we also talk about my perspective and observation on current news, Apple competitors, and also other events that I think matter to Apple. Additional subscriber benefits include access to the archive, so you can go back and read previous daily emails. In addition, there's a member form so you can chat with other Above Avalon subscribers. If you enjoyed the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a review or rating for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. And thank you to those of you who let others know about the Above Avalon podcast. I continue to get messages from people who say that they were introduced to Above Avalon through this podcast. So I think that's pretty great and pretty special. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.